I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 KRC radio show exclusively for this podcast. So you're ready for a vacation, but how about your wallet? Steve and I discuss the latest post-vaccine travel trends and some of the flight deals you can find at CVG over Memorial Day weekend. We also get into the retirement changes you're worried about and the hidden ones that you need to plan for. And while you don't want to know everything that your kids watch on TikTok, we'll reveal some of the terrible financial advice they're getting on there. Finally, Dave Hatter, our tech expert, joins me to discuss how you can hide your online shopping patterns from those massive tech giants. Well, we've seen some thunderstorms and a bit of dreariness here lately. So what do you say we go on a little vacation? You're listening to Simply Money tonight. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. If you're having trouble making vacation plans, well, by the time you're out of traffic tonight, we're going to tell you the travel trends affecting your wallet, if this rental car shortage is getting any better right now, and some of the best Memorial Day flights for any budget if you don't have plans yet, because that is right around the corner. Steve, no question, Americans are feeling safer and safer, and we are going out there. We are getting on planes again. Oh, we are, and and I did my personal research. I had to go to a wedding over the weekend in Charleston, (laughs) and I'll tell you what, the the airport was packed. The plane was absolutely packed. I don't think there was a spare seat on, on the plane. And, and, of course, Allegiant, being a discount airline, they tend to attract people first, I think. Hey, but it's not just here. The, the TSA said that on Sunday, May 2nd, it screened 1.63 million people a, at the country's airports. You were it's, one of them. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's a little bit lower than the same date in 2019, but it's the highest number since March of 2020. So in other words, the bounce back is happening. And I could vouch for it, Amy. People are just so frustrated of being close to home, not getting out. They want to get out, but they're not necessarily going overseas. They don't know what the rules are. But another city in an open state, yeah, they're they're getting there and they're enjoying it. You and I have both traveled within the past month, and I'm going to yeah. use you as an example right now because you and Ann did not travel, obviously, much during the worst of the pandemic. But since you visited grandkids in Phoenix, you went yeah. to the wedding last weekend, you're traveling again, what, this weekend, next week? So yeah. people are getting back out there again, but, and I think what you're doing is no different than a lot of people. Well, it's interesting because I really didn't let it slow me down much last year. We visited grandkids in August uh, last summer, and it was weird. I, I mean, CVG was a ghost town. I, yeah. I mean, there were more people working TSA than going through TSA. It really, it, it it was such a bizarre feeling. You're like, I hope this isn't going to get worse because it can't get much worse, you yeah. know, but, but um, it's roaring back. If it weren't for masks on faces, you would never know that there was a, a major change in, in travel habits over the past year. It's 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 really great to see, and and, and you know the the changes are hitting the airline industry. A lot of the things that they were doing to get us back, um, they're going by the wayside. They don't need to do it anymore. Yeah, right. So last year, and I had a a business flight uh, planned, and I had to cancel it at the last minute because I had been around someone who had tested positive for COVID. And it was no big deal. It was the easiest thing. I wasn't charged any fees. The airlines during that time knew people were changing left and right. Now they're saying, okay, you're back out here and you're traveling again and you're going to start paying these fees if you're not going to fly on the flight that you booked. United has already added nearly 500 domestic flights per day. That's just for the month of June. Delta flying 90% of its fleet. Here's the problem. The problem is the planes are out there, but they laid off so many pilots. I know. 
last year, right, when everything got really bad and not only laid off, uh, many of them took early retirement agreements and things like that, that if you've flown lately, it's pretty likely that one or both ends of your trip, the times have changed at least a little bit, and that's because they cannot get enough pilots back in the cockpit. Yeah, and it is the, the actual aircraft also. They they put them out to pasture. They dry dock them for, yeah, for the past year. That's true. And, I did and, see those pictures. Yeah, and, and you don't just take the car cover off and turn the key and start it back up with <laughs> Doesn't work that way? Uh, not quite, no. So, you know, there there is a definitely a ramp up uh, that, that you have to look at. But um, obviously with people getting back, airlines want to make money. And, and so they're getting them back on board. They're hiring pilots as quickly as they can. And it's impacting fees. I mean, we already talked about change fees are falling by the wayside. Um, But I'll tell you what, if you're waiting for an airfare to drop, I wouldn't wait a whole heck of a lot longer because it's kind of getting back to the old days. The longer you wait, the closer to your flight. Don't expect a $150 round trip ticket price drop the week before. Gary Wagner, my dad. I hope my dad is listening right now because I'm getting (laughs) married in August and uh, we're getting married in Florida on the beach. Very small group of people, but everyone had booked their flights except for my dad. And I I kept asking him like, hey, dad, I'm I'm assuming you're going to come to my wedding. So why haven't you booked yet? And he was like, yeah, you know, prices go up and down. I'm just kind of waiting for them to go down. I was like, dad. Everyone and their brother are traveling right now. Like these flights are not going to get any cheaper. They're only going to get more expensive. And after like two weeks of Gary Wags like watching that the price go up, he finally said, "Okay, you're right. I will go ahead and book." So he will be at the wedding. But I'm telling you, don't wait. Oh, I thought I thought this was going to end in um, he waited too long. He's on the road. He's hitting traffic outside <laughs> Atlanta. I hope he gets here in time. Can you he's got his trip tick from AAA, and he's hitting the roads. That would be my there you dad. Go. <laughs> but, but, you know, you can still get some bargains out there. If you want a ticket under $200 over Memorial Day weekend, you're pretty much limited to Allegiant, which I don't look at as a negative, Amy. That, no. that's, I, I mean, when they started out, they had some older aircraft. They had some maintenance issues. They would fly maybe two days a week to a destination. And if the plane was down on your return flight, you're stuck there three or four more days. I, I don't hear that anymore. And, and the, the flight we took to, to Charleston this past weekend, Allegiant, look brand new uh the airplane i think it was yeah i think it was an airbus so you know you can still get 132 dollar nonstop to orlando destin 119 vegas 178 bucks uh with allegiant and you know if you want to fly the majors you can still find some deals a little bit more but under 300 dollars to dc uh on delta 218 bucks there um, charlotte 270 bucks uh, Chicago, two hundred and seven bucks uh, nonstop with United. But if you see those types of fares and you want to do the flight, snap it up. Don't wait any longer. Here's the difference too. It used to be you would book the flight and then maybe even a week out or something you'd book the rental car. It was almost an afterthought. Ooh, don't do that now. Don't do uh-huh. that now. And and here's the problem, right? So many of these car rental places, when we weren't traveling last year, sold their inventory and other in, in order to stay afloat. So all those used cars that they had, they you know sold to the used car market. All of a sudden now the demand has picked up so fast that they cannot kind of get their fleet back up and running as quickly as we need to. So 
if you're look, you almost need to look at them in tandem at the same time, right? Yeah. Look at flights yeah. because there are some, especially some big cities, but even some smaller cities. I've heard some crazy stories about through the roof prices yeah. Yeah. Uh, to get even a rental car for a day. The average car rental in Hawaii about fifty bucks a day. Uh, this was just three weeks or three years ago. Now. Five hundred dollars yeah. a day in Hawaii. That's a little bit insane. of inflation. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you yeah, know, and I, I saw it last. Again, we visit the grandkids as much as we can out in Phoenix, and and, and okay, we rent obviously rent a car out there. Last time I was out there, um, nothing through Enterprise, nothing through I forget the other ones we checked. We rented uh, through Hertz, which is not the discount uh, rental. Okay. Yeah. I wound up getting an absolute beater of a car with fifty-two thousand miles, and I think we paid one hundred and ten bucks a day for a little subcompact. I mean, this thing—you would think it was rent a wreck, but they didn't have any availability. They—they they, like you said, they've sold off their fleets. They're actually going out there, the, the large car rental companies, and they're buying cars off the used market. They—I I mean, they have to replenish. Which is driving up used car costs for the average consumer at the same time. It's actually creating this crazy cycle right now. Uh, listen, if you're a regular Simply Money listener, but maybe you can't listen every night, we've got a weekly Best of Simply Money podcast for you, a collection of our favorite stories from that week on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you need to maybe revisit tonight's show, because uh, we've got so much great information in here about traveling. And you know what's weird, Steve, is when you look at rental car prices, like, it's not going to stay this way for long. They're going to get their fleets up and running. It's just this burst of demand that we have right now at the same time yeah. that the, the fleets aren't at their normal numbers. I, I think what we're learning, and, and America is learning, is that uh, an economic lockdown, piece of cake. You just tell everybody go home and, and everybody scrambles and, and figures it out. Opening back up. That's the headache, and some companies are figuring it out better than others. I, I don't know why they sold off their fleets. I, I mean, if I run a rental car agency, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to have a big disruption for a year, two years, maybe less, I hope. And, and obviously that's what happened. But, yeah, we're, we're seeing it now. If, Amy, if you go out looking for a halfway decent used car, I, I mean, the average price of a used car is up 50%. I, I think the mm -hmm. numbers are twelve grand a year ago. Uh, Seventeen grand now, yep. and it's because, in large part, well, you've you've got a couple uh, things playing into it, but in large part, you've got these big rental car agency uh, agencies saying, "Oops, okay, we, demand is back a lot sooner. We got to get we got to get inventory. Let's go out and hit the auctions and and buy cars." You couple that with new car production being hindered by uh, problems with production, problems with suppliers, um, problems with getting chips for cars. Uh, I mean, we're looking at at Ford's production is, is down considerably because they can't get chips for their vehicles. Um, you, all of this uh, plays into a perfect storm for if you're looking to buy a used car right now, it's going to cost you a lot more money. It's kind of like we talk about the white hot um, real estate market right now. This is what the used car uh, market looks like. And I can tell you, yeah. my cousin recently texted me that she was selling her car and she said, you know, will you kind of put the word out to some of your friends that might be perfect for their kind of teenage yeah. first time drivers? It was, she texted me back immediately and said, never mind. They put it on Facebook Marketplace and Gone. it was sold in like five minutes. And yeah. there was a bidding war over her, <laughs> whatever, used 2013 Highlander, whatever it was. And it's like, oh my gosh, yes, absolutely. And if you're going to get out there and travel, and we know, I know that there are some people who are just die hard cruisers, right? Like yeah. you love cruise ships. Well, the CDC has finally said that cruise ships can run in U.S. waters by midsummer, but here's the deal. 
95% of the customers and 98% of the crew have to be vaccinated against COVID-19, which is tough. Yeah. And, and you know, you're going to have to show proof, I guess. But, you know, you've got uh, DeSantis down in Florida said, no, we're not we're not going to deal with that. We're not doing the COVID passport deal. I, I mean, political decision, obviously. But if you're a cruise line and you're trying to get out of Fort Lauderdale or Miami and, and you have to comply, how do you do this when the governor says, no, we're not we're not going to uh, we're not going to allow that to happen with these uh, uh, covid passports? So they, they've still got to work out some details, but at least they're talking about, OK, maybe we can get back and, and uh, resume normalcy with the cruise lines sometime over the summer. They'll, they'll figure it out. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you've got I know if you're a cruiser, many of you have your favorite cruise lines. Check with that individual cruise line. So Norwegian actually is trying to mandate that if you're going to get on one of their boats, you're going to have to be vaccinated. Yeah. But your Carnival and your Royal Caribbean, they have kind of they haven't quite figured out what their policy is going to be yet. So that might be one that you kind of have to stay tuned for. Yeah. Uh, I think the key if you're going to travel this summer is to be flexible. Yeah. Honestly, maybe about the time that you're traveling, because if you can travel midweek, you're going to get cheaper prices obviously than over the weekend you might also have to be flexible about where you're going where are you going and and how you get there you know my answer i'm pulling out the sprotel we're going to do the <laughs> rv deal and, and in all seriousness you know even if you're rving it and, and that's your answer um don't wait on booking campgrounds because you're not the only person thinking that way they're getting booked up also Here's the Simply Money point. Man, travel, it is back, and it's also more expensive than ever. So make sure you've got it budgeted ahead of time and be flexible along the way. Happy Election Day. That's to you, those of you in the city of Cincinnati. We've got the mayor's race and issues up for grabs. The UC Economic Center, though, says the city as they're looking at their budget for this year, should count on less cash and the coffers for next year. And Steve, this is direct correlation to the pandemic and so many of us working from home. It, it is. And this is this is a major issue, not just Cincinnati, but no. every city across the country is dealing with this. We were just talking to Mark Serkin, uh, mayor of Blue Ash, about mm-hmm. this last week or the week before, uh, about how cities have come to depend on tax revenues of people that might live in a different area, but their job is in, in this case, the city of Cincinnati. And guess what? I I mean, this working remotely is working out really good for a lot of people. They want to continue that. And during the pandemic, Amy, people that lived outside of the city of Cincinnati, but their job was in Cincinnati, they still pay tax to the city of Cincinnati, even if they're working remotely. That ends soon. And this is going to be a major drop in revenues for the city of Cincinnati. Yeah, so it ends exactly when Governor Mike DeWine's emergency declaration regarding the pandemic expires. And I mean, when we talk about this in dollars and cents, the city estimated it will collect $311 million in earnings taxes for the fiscal year 2022, right? So that ends, uh, or which starts on July 1st, $311 million. That's but what because, they thought. Yeah, thought. Yeah. Because of this, it's only $277 million. That's a huge shortfall for a city that already always oh, struggles yeah, yeah. with balancing the budget. No, they, 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 they've been straining, you know, and, and potholes need to be filled and, you know, lots of stuff needs to be done in the city of Cincinnati. And now we're talking about uh, $34 million less money. You know, so, you know, they, they again, they've been collecting money from people working remotely. 
um, outside of the city of Cincinnati, they can't they, they're not going to get that money anymore. So, you know, it, it's this is something that is going to be a major drain. Yeah, cities were given some stimulus money, but they've already got 10 people showing up for every dollar um, that that the uh, grants were made to the city to get them through this rough, rough period. I, I think they're going to have to use a lot of the stimulus money just to maintain their current spending and, and without additional spending. This is going to be interesting uh, how, yeah. how this shakes out, but it, it's definitely a negative. Stay tuned on this one because yeah. you know if a government can't get money in one way, they will find a way to tax you and get it in another way. We'll see how this one plays out. Every week we go to Simply Money University where we go over the basics of investing and financial planning. This week, the retirement changes that we hear from you and that you are worried about and the ones that you can really plan for. And Steve, I'm, I'm betting that at this point you're getting some calls from some clients that you work with, some investors, oh, yeah. about higher taxes. Yeah, and, and the biggest one, the biggest proposed tax increase that everybody's talking about is the change in capital gains. Capital gains are when you sell something for more money than what you bought it for. That profit that you make, if it's been held longer than a year, is considered long-term capital gain. The tax rate on capital gains for years and years has been much lower than if you earn the money on a job as income. Uh, and as historically, an ex- even maybe half, close uh, yeah. to half. Well, it, maybe zero. I, I mean, yeah. if you're if you're a married couple and your adjusted gross income is below eighty thousand dollars with the gain a- after you've calculated in the gain, your tax rate may very well have been zero on, on that profit as of today but in washington they're proposing changes and and they're talking about increasing the capital gains rate as high as 39 percent i mean this is this is a major major tax increase and obviously people are going to have to make adjustments on what they were thinking of doing with their assets they may not sell those assets if they're going to be taxed at almost 40 percent so we'll see that's the proposal we'll see what the final version is i mean democrats own stock also yeah. You know, so this is not a gimme by any stretch, but there, there's a lot of fear and gnashing of teeth over this. We'll, we'll see how it shakes out. And, and to your point, I think you're totally right. It's just a proposal at this point. Yeah. We rarely do we see legislation as written that comes down the pike and becomes law. Here's one that we're keeping an eye on for middle class Americans, the potential loss of the step up basis. Yeah. Right. So this is um, your grandparents purchased stock, right? Procter yeah. & Gamble Procter stock. Procter & Gamble. Great example. Yeah. And it's it's a great example, not only of, of a good local stock, but how much that stock has appreciated right. through the years. So if your grandfather passes away and leaves you stock, you don't have to pay taxes on the, the price that he paid for it originally, which, right. my gosh, think about it. It's probably gone through the roof since then. You get it on a stepped up basis, which means when and if you go to sell that stock, you pay on the gains that have happened since the day that it was passed to you, the right. date of your grandfather's death, right? And it's been a huge, huge kind of part of estate planning for yeah. a long time. And, and President Biden is saying, mm, we might cut this out in, in, entirely for gains um, over a million dollars. So at this point, it looks like maybe it won't be so bad, but you never know how oh, it will truly come down the pike. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if they stick to that million-dollar exemption on it. I mean, you think this through, and, and this is part of estate planning. This is one of the basic tenets and, and, and of, okay, 
that stock gets passed to the grandkids, and grandkids can sell it, they can keep it, they can do whatever they want, but they didn't have to pay tax on the price that grandpa paid for it. I think you said it perfectly. That's going to go out the window if this gets passed as it's as it's currently proposed. So, so in other words, um, grandpa has lots of Procter & Gamble stock. He passes away, and his estate is going to have to pay the tax on that, just like he sold the stock. Uh, yeah. Even though he didn't, even though he passed it along to the kids. So the kids will get a fraction of what they thought they were getting. Here's my problem with Washington. All these proposals floating around out there, none of them tackle the biggest issue that we're yeah. facing. And that's, of course, Social Security, Social Security, the trust fund, you know, being dry in 2030 or 2034. Uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Here's a Simply Money point. Plan on the risk that you can control for a more secure retirement All right. So if your kids are on social media, they are likely on TikTok. Uh, my oldest is Yours on TikTok. Do TikTok? I, I wouldn't o- know where to start. I, I really yes. wouldn't. Well, th- here's the thing. It started with like crazy music videos, but now all advice seems to be dispensed via TikTok. And, and my daughter, I noticed she's a freshman in high school, takes that advice as as absolute fact. And what what we want to warn you about tonight is if you have kids or grandkids on this platform, there are people that are starting to sell financial products, financial information via TikTok that it is not fact. It is not good information. And our concern is your kids are going to take this as fact and go and make investments accordingly. Hey, Amy, this is the part that just blows me away. I mean, a survey says 41 percent of Generation Zers, those that were born in 1997 up until a few years ago, that they're getting their investment information from TikTok. And and these are short little snippets, and and this is just ripe for abuse. I mean, there are a lot of regulations in our industry, as there should be, and I see nothing on TikTok that says, hey, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future returns and, you no. know, the, the normal gobble. No, this is, hey, this is great. You should buy it. And and that's not good. That's yeah. not good. I don't know why people are going to uh, places like TikTok to get financial advice. But, um, you know, the kids that age, they're not going to listen to a guy like me probably. But please stop. This is dangerous. They're getting all of their information from TikTok, right? So it's yeah. not just financial information. It's just that people have realized, okay, if they're getting all their fin- all of their information from TikTok, we're going to slide some financial stuff in there and see if they bite. And here's here's a quote from a 25-year-old who's on TikTok, and she says, you know what? I love TikTok because it doesn't make me feel bad if I buy Starbucks once a month. And I would flip that around, and I would say, what TikTok does is make you feel bad if you don't get Starbucks at least yeah. once or because So it yeah. makes you, you see other people consume it. You see them putting their you know stupid, fancy drinks on there or whatever. Uh, and, and my daughter is always asking for coffee drinks now and I'm like I don't understand what really? is the deal it goes back to TikTok and so it's this constant consumption you want all the things that other people have and we know even the wisest investors can sometimes look at other people and, and have FOMO right what, what what's the return you say you got yeah. on that yeah. okay so put this in the hands of teenagers 20 year olds 31 year olds whatever who maybe aren't as savvy in investing and there are products that are and we even saw one of them on there saying, listen, the, if you have $150,000, which most of these people don't, but if you do, the best place to invest it is a variable annuity. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, yeah. You, you know we're going to have a problem with, with 
first of all, you can't just say to everybody, here's the best investment for you. Everybody's different. Yeah, you know, I mean, there everything about what we're talking about here is is dangerous. It, it really is. It is. It, and if it looks like and it sounds like I'm getting worked up, it, it's because I am. Um, one of the, the, the worst issues I've got with social media is it doesn't say, okay, you looked at this. Now, here's something different so you can compare and contrast. No, the algorithms are written. So if you happen to pull up a risky investment, since we're talking about investments, mm-hmm. it's going to feed you more risky investments. Yeah. It's it, The algorithm is going to say, you like that, you're going to like these, and, and it leads you down a path of, of financial destruction. I, I mean, it's not good. And these videos are not three-minute videos, right? I mean, three yeah. minutes would be amazing. These are super short. So yeah. there's no, there, there's just a quick claim and then nothing behind it. So if they're talking about annuities, no one's talking about commissions, right? And, and if they're talking about this Conflicts thing that got interest. this re- return, yeah. absolutely. So make sure you're having these conversations with your kids. We think this is so important. The information that's on there, the financial information is, is mostly, is often not factual. Uh, and they need to find other sources and you can direct them in the right direction of where those are. Simply Money Point, your kids are getting some terrible financial advice on TikTok. Talk to them about what they need to be investing in. Talk a lot on this show about how your data is out there, big tech companies collecting it many times when you're using apps that you use every day. And often you can educate yourselves, but there isn't a ton that you can do to protect yourselves. But joining us tonight to make sure that you do know a way that you can protect yourself is our tech expert, Dave Hatter, cybersecurity consultant at Intrust IT. He's a professor at Cincinnati State, and you can hear him right here on the 55 KRC morning show every Friday at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, Dave, let's talk about this. You say we can corrupt the data that we put out there. Yeah, Amy, the good news is I think people are waking up to the fact that, you know, we are these big tech companies' products, not their customers. They make their money off our data in most cases. And there's never been more options to protect yourself and reduce the amount of data you're putting out there. And some researchers from the Northwestern University did a study and came up with some interesting ideas that I think are, are relevant for folks to, uh, to at least consider. So two PhD students, Nicholas Vincent and Hanlin Lee, suggested three different ways you can, quote, poison the data, unquote. Again, the theory being the less they know about you, um, A, the more you can maintain your privacy, and B, the less money they make off of you, limiting their power to at least some extent. So their three approaches uh, are data strikes, withhold or delete your data so that the tech firm can't use it. Um, you know, go in when you're done with something and uh, take the data out or only give them the least amount of data that you can to use their service. I mean, this has been a, a recommendation from nerds like me for a long time. And I would even suggest doing things like um, use bogus email addresses, which kind of leads into the next point, data poisoning. Give them meaningless or incorrect data. So rather than give them your real phone number, unless they need it, obviously, if you know, you're trying to have something shipped to your house, if you give them a false address, then you're not going to get the product, right? Or you're going to have to go somewhere else to get it. So within reason, give them bogus data, withhold data. Don't give them any more than they absolutely have to have. There's an interesting tool out there called Ad Nauseam. It's a browser extension, a plug-in for your browser that when you do a search, it will literally click in the background every link on the page. So that's ah. an example of poisoning the data, right? So now they don't know that 
you searched on this particular term and clicked this one link or that one link, giving them some insight into your thinking, what you're interested in, et cetera. It just clicks everything. And what's so, that called again? Ad nauseum. Okay. And so this is something that you can use all the time. And because it's a browser extension, it will just do it for you. And you don't have to, uh, once you have it on your computer, you don't have to do anything else. It's exactly right. So, and it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, there are people out there who understand the power of these tech companies and the way folks are being exploited without their knowledge or their consent. But, you know, you get those terms and conditions. Nobody can understand all that stuff, right? You just say yes. So it, it, I think it's cool that there are people out there building tools. And, you know, there are other tools like Privacy Badger and HTTPS Everywhere from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. These are also browser extensions that help you protect your privacy. It helps withhold data. It blocks cookies. So it sort of fits into these first two uh, buckets from this research from Northwestern University. And the last piece then, conscious data contribution. If you decide tomorrow that you don't like Google, and you can put me in the, squarely into that bracket, then mm -hmm. use other sites instead, right? Use DuckDuckGo for your searches. Don't give Google that data. Don't use Gmail. Use something like ProtonMail, where you not only get enhanced security, but you get enhanced privacy because these are organizations in those two spaces, search and email, that don't make their money off of your data. Um, so again, conscious data contribution, choose where you want your data to go, mix it up across multiple sites. You know, you might decide to still shop on Amazon occasionally because they have a good deal or they have something you want you can't find anywhere else, but try Target, try Walmart. Don't put your data all in one place. Make smart decisions about the place you're places you're using. Uh, a so different what you're saying too, I think Dave is a complete kind of shift from the way we've already always done things. And you know, no one would usually ever call me like a trailblazer in the way of like tech things, but I actually learned a long time ago. I actually used an old uh, phone number from a newsroom I used to work in years and years ago, and I use it as my number, and I give it out all the time. Um, and it's funny because if I give it out, my kids will sometimes look at me like that's not your number, <laughs> but I I do it on purpose because I don't want my personal cell phone number out there all the time and it's crazy because never has there been an issue no one has ever called me on it it's never caused me to not get something that i needed but i think it goes to show that sometimes we just are so used to telling the truth and supplying everything that we're asked of that we don't ever question no what are they doing with this and do they really need this information about us well, I think that's an excellent point, Amy. In many cases, they don't really need it. They want it because it gives additional insights into you, the things you like, the places you go, the things you do. And, you know, they use it to build very elaborate and granular dossiers about you that can then use, be used for targeted ads or, or sold to someone else. You know, an alternative approach to that, if you still would want someone to be able to get a hold of you, but you don't, you want to know that someone is using your data for sales and marketing time activities, uh, even though in general I would avoid Google, they have a free service called Google Voice. You can set up a phone number in there. Like I have an ancient cell phone number that I've had forever. Virtually everybody knows it, kind of like you with your old number. Mm -hmm. I set it up in Google Voice. So you can still call that number and it will get forwarded to me. I generally ignore virtually anything that comes through that now because I only give it out to people I don't really want to hear from. <laughs> so, yeah, um, you know, that is a way to actually have a working phone number. And there are other services besides that. But that that's one example. So there's lots of different things you can do as an individual. Part of it is just being cognizant of the fact that the less information you put out there about yourself, the better off you are. So, Dave, this is something you've kind of been keeping your eye on for and proactively taking steps against for a long time now. But what do you think it's going to take kind of the average user, the you know, we've got an iPhone, we've got an Android, we've got our laptops, to actually take notice of this and start taking these extra steps to protect our information? 
Yeah, that's a good question, Amy. I think part of it is, you know, more and more people keep turning up in these data breaches, which then has a negative impact on them because their identity gets stolen. Uh, people use that information to impersonate them to set up new accounts, or they use it to fool people into thinking they're being contacted by a legitimate vendor or something, right? If I have a ton of information about you, I can send you a phishing mail that seems very realistic because I have all this information. I, you know, some states like California have passed the California Consumer Privacy Act. There are other states that have similar laws. I think the consciousness about privacy is being raised, and as more people are impacted by this, they'll take steps in this direction. I think the more information you can put out there about it, and I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to do it, it helps people realize what's out there too. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping more and more people are taking these things seriously and realizing the surveillance capitalism model of you get all this great stuff for free really isn't worth it. Great advice tonight, kind of eye-opening about the fact that you do have choices with your data, what you put out there, and how you can protect it. Dave Hatter, our tech expert, you're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. Now, if you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think maybe they could benefit from it too. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.